What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Good Looks Podcast. Um, I know it's been a little while. I think uh, it's our first podcast since about October, but we're sticking to the theme that we've kind of been rolling with over the past couple months. We're going to go back to interviews. We're straying away from, uh, from sports for a little while until Josiah's back in town. So today we've got an extra special guest, uh, my boss, uh, my, my boss's boss, uh, Mr. Chris Carlson, uh, COO and president of the Fish Guys, Inc. here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited to have him here. Uh, Going to learn kind of a lot about his life, his experience both, you know, in his youth and his adult life, and then kind of what he's been up to here in Minneapolis over the past about three to four years. Um, so kind of get us started, Chris. I just want to learn a little bit about you, kind of when you were younger, where are you from? Uh, kind of just kind of talk about your childhood, where you're from in Illinois, um, and start there. Yeah, yeah actually, I, uh, I was born in Valparaiso, Indiana, of all places. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, up okay. in northern Indiana. My family still has a farm up there. We'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, from there, my family moved to Indianapolis, and I was uh, lived there until I started kindergarten, and then we moved to Champaign when I was a young tyke. Okay. Uh, Champaign, Illinois, my dad uh, got a job there, and... We moved to uh, to Champaign, and I lived there, you know, where the University of Illinois is from the time I was in kindergarten all the way till I graduated from high school. Wow. Wow. That's a real long time. Nice. I didn't know you're from Indiana. Do you have any, like, Indiana fandom in your blood? Are you a Hoosier guy? Yeah, we, uh, it's, it's ironic. Both my Colts? mom, my dad, and my sister all went to IU, graduated okay. from IU. My dad okay. went to medical school at IU. Okay. Huge Indiana basketball fan, so I grew up a huge fan of Bobby Knight and his oh, style yeah. of basketball. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. And uh, so it was an awkward thing when we moved to Champaign because, yeah. you know, here I am living in the heart of Illini country and being a Hoosier fan. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I became a big fan of uh, Illinois when they were great in the late 80s with... Kenny Battle and Nicky Anderson and okay. you know okay. Marcus Liberty and these guys that were all out of Chicago, great players, and they were yeah. the flying Illini in 1989. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We went, went to the finals. Wow. The really? finals of the NCAA, yeah. They okay. lost to Michigan. Okay. Uh, they, they, went, uh, they beat Michigan twice in the regular season and then lost to them in the, uh, in the, the finals. finals. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Neil Robinson. Wow, was that the the Fab that was that the Fab Five Michigan no, team? Well no, well before no. the Fab well Five, before, I think okay. Emil Robinson was the point guard, and they had I think Glenn Rice. And okay, they had some big names on that team. Wow, I remember Glenn Rice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Illinois is kind of getting back to it. I know this year. I don't know a lot about them, but I know they were top ten. Yeah, I think they started at eight, and mm-hmm. uh, they um, they beat a, up on Minnesota. They beat up on Minnesota ago. the other yeah. day. They beat uh, they beat Duke earlier this year in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Yeah, that's yeah. I think they got a solid team again. Finally, they got some real talent on that squad. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, so I'm an Indiana basketball uh, fan. I grew up going to uh, um, Indiana, you know, basketball camp. Bobby Knight was kind of a hero of mine. Yeah. Went to Lou Henson's uh, Oh wow. Okay. Uh, basketball camp a lot in Champaign. And, okay. Yeah, Bobby huge Knight. basketball fan. Bobby Knight, he was the great, I remember him, he was a super passionate guy, right? He was like throwing, not always throwing chairs. Yeah, he was sideline, the guy that threw, was, the, threw the chair across the court during the Purdue right. game. Yeah. Yeah, um, he had some okay. great teams. Yeah, yeah, he was a great coach. Isaiah um, Thomas. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, oh, I wish we could get a guy like that in Minnesota. Right? <laughs> it's been oh, it's been too long. It's been way too long. But kind of, I guess we can stick with basketball at least in in high school. Um, I know you're a big basketball player, um, both AAU and on like varsity and whatnot. Um, I'm just kind of interested in how you know sports as well as school. How did that kind of shape your youth experience? Yeah, you know, um, I've always said through my 
entire professional career that I love to recruit and hire people that have um, some sort of athletic background because it yeah. teaches them a couple of things that are super important to me, which are competitiveness and wanting to win, uh, but then also um, teamwork yep. and knowing how what it's like to work with a team and win together, yep. um, which is something I really you know kind of strive for here at the Fish Guys is let's let's work together. Nobody's you know there's no I in team type thing that yep. cliche. Yep, exactly. Uh, but to me, you know, a lot of the early experiences I had. Uh, growing up playing basketball and um, also was a big tennis player, which is a little bit more of an individual sport, but wow. both those things um, taught me a lot about, you know, how the work world. Yep, yep, okay. Okay, I didn't know you played tennis, yeah? Was that a high school thing or a... Uh, no, I started when I was really young and was actually probably a little bit better of a tennis player than I was a, a basketball player. Wow, okay. um, You know, I played uh, number one for my high school all four years and... Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, came in as a freshman, and that was that was that was uh, interesting coming in and being the best player as a freshman. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the senior, I think I took a senior out who was playing number one. I don't think he liked that very much, but oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I mean, my eventual goals and through all through high school, my coach was the Illinois tennis coach, being in Champaign, and okay, um, he really wanted me to come and play tennis at Illinois, but I was more. Um, interested basketball is more fun to me yeah because it was team sport okay yeah. okay nice nice yeah. that's kind of a good transition how um i'm sure being in champagne uh i'm sure there's a lot of pressure to go you by yeah i'm sure a lot of your buddies went there how did you kind of decide on the school where you ended up and yeah it's interesting well for one you know there was a in in the in the late 80s in champagne there was it was a little bit like that movie um breaking away yeah where you know they, they were the townies and there were the college kids and yep. uh you know uh, even though i wasn't the epitome of a cutter i yeah. was uh i definitely <laughs> was uh really not interested in going to illinois because i had kind of gone there when i was in high school you know you could get into the bars yep if oh, yeah. you had an id that said you were 19. oh yeah uh, and okay. i was i guess i was lucky because when i was about 17 i looked like i was 19. And nice nice get, so i you know grew up Going to the bars there and okay, okay. going to Illinois football and basketball games and nice. had friends that had graduated from my high school and were there and could get into the fraternity parties and so I really kind of experienced the the uh, Illinois thing and the big school thing when I was in high school ironically okay um, and used to practice with a lot of the Illinois tennis players when I was in high school oh wow so okay. um, I uh, you know I just I guess the big thing for me was that I. Um, I wanted to go to a smaller school because I was still interested in playing basketball. Mm -hmm. um, I had a chance to, um, you know, I had guys that I played with that I was like all area with yeah. who ended up sitting on the bench and being on the practice squad at Illinois. That didn't really no, interest me. Yeah. Um, I knew I'd never see the floor on a Big Ten at a Big Ten school. Yep. Um, yep. But I could have played, you know, Big Ten tennis for sure. Yep. Uh, so by choosing DePaul, I choose it originally because I thought I wanted a smaller school and to do something different. My brother had gone there. Okay. And uh, I thought it was a, my original plan was to go there and play and continue to play both sports. Okay. So I wanted okay. to play basketball and yeah, Division three seemed like a good plan. Yep. Um, and uh, they had a great team. As a matter of fact, my freshman year, uh, I didn't play all the way through my freshman year, but that team went to the finals of the Division three uh, championship that year out of DePaul. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good choice. 
Yeah. So did you did you have a couple siblings or just one brother? Yep, or, okay. I had uh, two brothers and okay. a sister. Yeah. Okay. One, my sister went to IU, my other brother went to DePaul, and then my other wow. brother went to uh, Miami, Ohio. Oh wow! Were you yeah. the youngest, or are you in the middle? I am the baby. Oh, you are the baby. Yeah. I'm the baby. Yeah, well, it's baby, great to be the baby. Babies are always the best. <laughs> I don't baby, hundred percent. We're the most well adjusted. <laughs> I agree. Most relaxed. We have the most experience. You learn from others. It's great. Exactly. Great. Nice, nice. Good to hear. Yeah. So, um, and DePauw, in terms of school size, it's a smaller school. It's yeah, a small like, liberal arts school. I think when I went there, it's a little bigger than it is now. Maybe there were twenty five hundred students there, three thousand students. Okay. So, real small liberal arts school. Okay. Um, you know, which is another thing that I was kind of attracted to because I, like a lot of people, had no idea what I wanted to do when yeah. I graduated. You know, when I went to school. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Stephen, to some extent, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do when I graduated, but knew yep. I wanted to go into sales. Yeah. What I guess question that I would ask because something that I experienced growing up, you know, graduating high school in 2015, it was kind of an expectation like you're going to college, especially where I grew up here in Minnetonka. Yeah. Um, at your time, was that kind of an expectation with your family and in your high school? Oh, or was it, yeah. well, I wouldn't say so much in my particular high school. Okay. Um, there were a lot of kids that didn't go to college. Okay. Um, I don't know what the rate was, but definitely in my family, there was absolutely no question. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. when you got to school, how did you kind of find your path in terms of like, you know, Obviously, athletics, basketball, and tennis, um, but did you focus on certain courses that kind of steered you to the career you're at today? Um, yeah, it was kind of a, a hodgepodge of things. I think, you know, I was in, I, when, at the time that I went to DePauw, the Greek system was actually the highest percentage of Greek in the country. Oh, wow. So over 90% of the students at that time at DePauw okay. were in a fraternity or sorority. And for a small school with 3,000 students, we had uh, 13 uh, fraternities and 10 sororities. Wow. And they were all fully subscribed with, you know, somewhere between 70 and 90 people. Yeah. Um, and, or even larger. Um, okay. And, you know, the one thing I, I really um, appreciated about the Greek system at DePaul was that it, it was, um, it was, everybody was active in it. Okay. Um, and it was a great opportunity to get leadership experience, right? So I held a lot of, because I was president of my pledge class. Yep. Uh, I did social chair. I did rush chairman. Wow. I was a pledge trainer. And all the people at DePaul at that time, and I think it's still to some extent that way, um, would hold offices in the house. And it was a great way to get like leadership experience. Okay. Uh, learn how to, like I said earlier, like work with people, work as a team. Yep. You know, 70 guys living in a house together trying to make the thing work without having it burned to the ground was a yeah. great experience. Oh, yeah. That takes... Um, and then I was I did started off in e, as an econ major and kind of levitated more towards communications and okay. like you know mass com. Yep. Um, and um, you know uh, it just uh, was a natural fit for me. Okay. Um, and so yeah, um, took some business courses. You know, took a lot of communications courses, but the DePaul experience they expect you to get uh, what's called a Q, which is a quantitative. Okay. You have to get a certain certification in that. You've got to get one for a W for writing. Okay. Uh, you got to take a you know you got to take some sort of a speech class. Yep. Um, yep. And through all that, you get kind of a really well well rounded education. Yep. Yep. I yeah the speech classes I took those were big ones, especially in college like public public speaking. Yeah. Um, presentation courses were great. Just yeah. great rounders. Um, got to ask you recruiting. 
for a fraternity with like such a 90% of people are in Greek life, was that pretty hard, uh, competitive to kind of get the people that you wanted? I guess, oh, or, yeah. yeah, it was, it, you know, that like going back to the learning experience, super intense because yeah. probably the, the, the most important role in our house was being rush chairman oh, yeah. and the amount of work that went into it before, you know, this was before Facebook and I was Instagram. Say, how'd you do this before social media? Man? We, had, <laughs> like, were you we, giving we up? literally had a book that was called the meat book. <laughs> Uh, which was every oh freshman would send in their picture yeah. and their interests, oh my uh, all the guys, all the girls. And so as Rush Chairman, the first thing you do is look through this. Yeah. And then you try to make connections with people that were from you know their town yep. that maybe knew them while they were in high school. Yep. And then you'd have to make connections with them. And wow. you know, we had all kinds of rules against dirty rushing and things like that. But, yep. but then when we would, it was a very scientific process when the, when the guys would come into the house We'd give presentations, we'd talk up, you know, what was great about our house, mm-hmm. you know, what athletes we had in the house, what, yep. you know, academics we had in the house. Yep. And then we would make sure that we paired them with people for the first, second, and third rounds. Okay. That were, we'd stay up till three, four o'clock in the morning making sure those pairings were right. Wow. You know, um, and that they were with the right people so that they felt that connection and wanted to come into the house. And every other house on campus was doing the same thing. So it was yeah. like, you know, it was a really, really intense process and a great learning experience that I think, unfortunately, the university doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, yeah. the no, things I, like that that the, that you do in a fraternity or sorority that actually prepares you well for, you know, professional yep. life. No, I, I 100% agree. Because um, I went into college, I honestly knew nothing about Greek life um, either. And I joined one. I wasn't in a fraternity for that long. <clears throat> Just because it was a big school and you didn't, I, I didn't need to be. Yeah. Um, but that was the one thing I noticed then with my friends is they held positions and it was just great. Uh, I had a president of fraternity as a friend. I had a couple of recruiters and they just got great experience yeah. um, competing and like you had, you had to win. You had to get the people you wanted and you, you really, you didn't want to not grow the house, right? You wanted to make sure you got quality people and like kept, kept the house growing. Which yeah. Was yeah. We cool. always used to, uh, I mean, it was a little bit like Animal House because we would definitely on the last night throw the pictures up on the on yep. the slide screen and throw oh, yeah. beers at the guys that we had no interest with. And, yep. you yep. know, the question was always like, are you sure you want that guy? Is that the guy you want to live with? <laughs> yep. You know, yep. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. and um, yeah, it's a little cutthroat that way. But at the end of the day, um, we always we, we the whole time I was there, we managed to. Uh, put together an amazing group of guys who are still some of my best friends to this day. Yeah. And that yeah, fishing yeah. trip I told you I went on them yep. about a couple months ago was with all my buddies uh, from my fraternity. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, nice. That's, that's huge. That's really nice. Um, in terms of, you know, when you're at school, so you stayed in sport for a little while in terms of tennis and basketball, or yeah. how did that play and, out? And, you know, then they had a pretty strong intramural program there, oh, and, nice. you know, so I kept playing, you know, intramural sports and kind of got in, actually got into intramural football, which we nice. had a really good team. And Is that flag, or was it like... Was full, it? full contact on the line. Wow. All and right. Then, um, All right. And then, you know, just... Uh, Two hand touch on the on the outside. outside. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then there was always a pit. Of, at the end of it was at the end of the intramural season, we would play Wabash, which was the big yeah. rivalry to DePaul. Yeah. Um, okay. And you'll sometimes you'll see that uh, the DePaul Wabash football game on ESPN. Oh yeah. Uh, because uh, it's the oldest football rivalry west of the Alleghenies. Okay. Yeah, and as you play for the Monon Bell every year. Oh wow! Yeah, I did not know that. When yeah, they... But she also didn't know that the founder of ESPN. Graduated from DePaul. What? Yeah. Was that? Who I was didn't put that in. Didn't I, put didn't, I didn't tell you that. No, that's another one I just remembered. Who was it? Uh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he's a DePaul grad. Okay. Uh, 
Wow. And he came up with the idea of a 24-hour sports satellite uh, uh, satellite network while he was stuck in traffic with his son, um, his son Scott. So, yeah, it's... Um, I think that's part of the reason why they cover the Mona on Bell every game on yep. here. It's usually on like ES one of the ESPN yep. two, I think. Yeah. yeah, gotta go back to the roots. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So that's very cool. Yeah, you there's some crazy other uh, grads from DePaul that you were talking about, one of which was Brad Stevens as well. Yeah, uh, Brad Stevens, coach. the coach of the uh, the, the Celtics, Celtics went yep. to DePaul. He's a little younger than I am. Yep. Uh, he was a Sigma Chi there. Nice. Um, nice, nice Brett nice. Bear, also the um, uh, the guy you see him a lot on Fox News. Yep. The anchor, he's also was a Sigma Chi at DePaul. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, Dan Quayle. Yeah, Dan Quayle, the, the VP, he came to speak when I was there. And then uh, Vernon Jordan actually was yeah. uh, a grad. He spoke at my commencement, actually. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got some, you know, every school has a decent number of celebs, but we got a few interesting ones. Yeah, yeah. So one other thing I want to touch on I noticed was uh, this, you talked about some creative games that you created. Being at a small school, I think I've heard you talk about these once or twice, yeah. but you got to refresh me. Cause yeah, we, you know, being at a small school in yeah. the middle of Indiana in the late 80s, early 90s, and pre-cell phones, you know, kind of very, very early days of the Internet. It really wasn't present on campus when I was there. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that made DePaul great in those days was you had to make your own fun. Yep. You know, we didn't have a movie theater. We didn't have a Taco Bell, for crying out loud. Sheesh. So what did you do for fast food? Did uh, you have McDonald's? You know, we McDonald's? did have McDonald's. All right. Thank but God. Thank it God. Was, yeah. um, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday night would come around and we would always have live music in the fraternities. Oh, um, nice. Big parties. Um, everybody nice. stayed on campus because the parties were so great in the fraternities and sororities. The social wow. life was amazing. Live music was that students or did you guys have both? We, we bands we, come most, in. Most houses had a house band. We had a fantastic house band. That's so cool. Oh yeah. my god! All right. SAE All right, was yeah. always kind of famous for having a house band. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, well before I got there in the seventies, the uh, the nitty gritty dirt band. The nitty gritty dirt band. <laughs> the nitty gritty dirt band was a band. Was an Could SA, was throw a SAE, down. SAE DePaul. Wow. Yeah. wow. Hell yeah. 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 That had to be a crazy party environment. Because I'm used to like speakers everywhere, crazy bass going, yeah. somebody's DJing. But like live music is a different vibe. We would spend most of our social budget on bands. And we yeah. would get them in. And it wasn't really a real party at DePaul unless you had a good band. Unless you had a good band. Um, we had wow. some big names too. We had, uh, you ever heard of the Freddie Jones band? I've Chicago? heard of Freddie Jones. We had yeah. Freddie, yeah. Down, Freddie Jones to come down and play a few times while we were wow. there. Wow. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, Blues Traveler. Okay. Came to DePaul when I was there. Okay. Yeah. Sheesh. That's a great environment. Dang. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so yeah. back games. to the games. Yeah. Uh, we had some good ones. Um, we, we were next door to the Kappa house, and one of my favorite games was uh, I Break You Pay. Okay. So we would line up in a line and kick the football and try to kick it through the front window of the Kappa house. And if oh you uh, if you were to break it, the person that uh, was behind you in line had to pay, pay. for it. <laughs> oh it was a great God. game. Uh, we also had a game called Blatant Disregard that was played with a, uh, a, a two-liter bottle of water and a Frisbee. Oh, and, my God. Uh, you'd two on two, and you'd throw the... Uh, you would uh, throw the uh, bottle of water up into the air as high as you possibly could. Yep. And then wing the frisbee at the other team. Okay. And if the other team could catch both. Yeah. 
then they, the other person had to stand 15 feet in front of you and you got to throw those things as hard as you could at them at them yeah oh my god great way to get, that's crazy what? great way to get bruised up yeah holy yeah. smokes yeah. <laughs> two liters of water yeah. going flat oh my god yeah it was painful yeah but it's fun to watch if you could oh, get, yeah. if you could get people dumb enough to play it oh yeah you gotta get some just meatheads out there yeah. just testosterone exactly. up yeah exactly. oh man did you ever play like polish ping pong was that ever a thing where yeah. like that was something that we used to play. This is in high school. I don't know. But I don't it was, know that one. It was literally like, actually, do you remember Tyler Hansbro on the, the Tar Heels? He was like a Oh, yeah. Forward. Yeah, yeah. For I sure. loved him. Loved him. And they call him Psycho T. And I guess one thing he did is he'd play ping pong, but every point, if you lost, you lift up your shirt and the other person just wails the ping pong ball at you. You just have this huge <laughs> welt. And so we were like trying to be like Psycho T when we were playing basketball in high school. Awesome. Well, yeah. we used to... Uh, yeah. Make freshmen get dressed up in their uh, uh, with a, the lacrosse uniform, so like they were the goalie yep. with the helmet and the yep. lacrosse stick. Yep. And then we would take a water balloon launcher and and uh, shoot, shoot beers at them, oh, and they would have to try and block it. Block. Or just hit it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those That's are the types amazing. of things that you do. You get when creative you're in, when yeah. you're in college, and you know, like you said, you yeah. Got a lot of energy, and you don't have anything to do. You come up with you stupid come up ways with to stupid have fun. Things. That's see, I feel like that's great because now you can kind of get away with you know yeah. going and watching a lot more like Netflix or going on your computer and whatnot. Where when you're bored, you just get creative when you yeah. have technology, which yeah. is it's kind of nice. Like I was telling you earlier, we yeah. had like you know one subscription to cable in our fraternity, and there would yeah. be. It would be daisy chained out to thirty-seven different TVs until they would come out and snip them all. That's so and, uh, funny. So there wasn't even, a lot of times you didn't have any. You know, there wasn't even really TV, TV to watch. Yeah, yeah. Was that that had to be VCR times? Yeah. Oh yeah. VCR. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember the VCR. It might even be. You might even had the VHS and the Betamax. Might have still been battling it out for the. That sounds. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, I never had those. It was yeah. VCR for me, and then <laughs> DVD and Blu-ray, yeah. and then here. Now we're now we're here. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, kind of rolling on. Um, kind of the stage of life I'm in right now, and I know a lot of our listeners are in is like young adult life, uh, yeah. right out of college. So, kind of wanted to just touch on where were you right right when you graduated college? What were you doing? Um, what decisions did you make? You know, both good and bad that kind of yeah. shaped your early adult years, I guess. Well, I moved up to Chicago like a lot of DePaul grads did. Yep. Um, I had a huge network of uh, graduates that were either, you know, one, two, three years ahead of me. Um, yep. Or, you know, and even after the fact, you know, kids kept still still kept coming up and we all lived in Lincoln Park. Yep. Um, so Very I moved nice. into an apartment with uh, four guys from DePaul wow. and, um, you know, Varying levels of things that people were after. We had friends that were in law school, and yep. um, you know, friends that were going on different career paths. Yep. Um, you know, but I chose the path of going into sales, nice. uh, which I think was a great uh, experience for me because I learned a lot about customer relationships and how important they are, and yep. you know, um, and learned a lot from my customers because I. I, um, I went straight into kind of the Chicago Board of Trade, Chicago Mercantile Exchange trading environment. Okay. Uh, where I was selling uh, systems and data to people that were, you know, trading futures and yep. uh, working in the, uh, in the ag markets. Yep. Um, you know, and I had a lot of uh, customers that taught me about, you know, market fundamentals and technical analysis and, uh, yep. 
you know, how to leverage software. And yeah. even back in those days, like they were just learning how to, you know, link real time data into spreadsheets so that they could, yeah. you know, run calculations and find, you know, trading advantages. Wow. Nice. Um, so I bet that was, was that a, a relationship you had with a lot of customers where like, I'm sure you'd help them and teach them about your company where, and they'd also teach you about yeah, what they were doing. Yeah, the best thing that I ever did. I had a, uh, somebody that hired me. I started out originally just doing telesales over the phone. Okay. Um, and getting commission for only what I sold. Nice. So I've had a minuscule base salary, if anything. Yep. Um, but I was you, hungry. I was gonna say that makes you hungry. Yeah. I was hungry, <laughs> and I got on the phone, and I had a I had a quota. I had to make a hundred cold calls a day. Sheesh. Wow. Um, and you know, from that, I got hung up on a lot. You okay. Know? Yeah. You know, I always say that everything that you do. You can't look at the negative at it. You got to look about what you learned from it and how it made you stronger. Yep. yep. Um, and I think in particular, you know, having that experience and starting off in telemarketing was great. And I was recognized as a successful person doing it by by one of the, by a rep okay. uh, who had the number one territory yep. for a company called uh, Knight Ritter Financial, which was you know yep. kind of an upstart financial yep. uh, company associated with Knight Ritter newspapers. Okay. And um, uh, he asked me if I would kind of leave the telemarketing space and go to work for him as his kind of like trainer, you know, working yep. with the traders. Yep. Um, and so I spent a ton of time um, out on trading floors, getting to know the customers, gathering all their information. And my one objective was to build, this is funny to say, but yeah. there used to be this program called ACT, okay. which was like a CRM early yeah. days, like yep. database. Yep. And the goal of it was gather as many names and phone numbers as I could yep. so that we could do mailings to people and tell them about things on the system that they didn't they know how to do. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I spent my first year pretty much just pounding the streets of downtown Chicago, wow. uh, walking trading floors, out on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, yeah. getting to know people, building relationships, maybe going out to drink with them after work, <laughs> yeah. all, I, that, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah, I got to ask you, because we, I guess my, my age group hasn't lived through that. Board of Trade and trading floors at that time, what was it really like? Was it a crazy, because I'm imagining just like a crazy, upbeat. You seen the movie Trading Places with Eddie Murphy? Yes. It's like that. It was like that. I wow. Mean, it was shoulder to shoulder. Oh, my God. You know, the Euro, Euro dollar pit was a football field long, and it was yeah. all divided up into the different years. Okay. You know, futures that they'd be trading out, and there could be 1,500, 2,000 people in that pit. Oh, my God. You know, trading, you know, futures and options. And yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. And they're there all day. I guess they're doing what? Is that like yeah. I think 12 hours, 10, 12 hour at day? At the Board of Trade, the bonds opened up at 7.20 and they closed, I think, at 2 o'clock. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, they would trade, you know, open yeah. outcry through that whole time. But, you know, I saw the whole transition from that. So when I yep. first got there, it was all, you know, open outcry. Yep. Uh, but by the time I left, the, the floors were starting to dwindle. Okay. Because the electronic trading firms were, were coming in we're and taking uh, over yeah, yeah taking over okay okay yeah so nice. anyway i parlayed yeah. that into a job um working in the on the you know outside sales yep. um and shortly after i finished my database yeah my boss left oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay and um you know you look at through your career like big things that happen yeah uh well when the regional manager came in and said what am i going to do i just lost my best rep yep he took a look around and who is this 27-year-old kid sitting there that knew yep. every single customer in the territory? Chris Carlson, baby. shaking their hand. Yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hell so yeah. Nice. it was a no-brainer, and here I yeah. was, 20, 27 years old. Yep. Uh, and I was running the number one territory in the country for, for Knight Ritter. Wow. Uh, and making, you know, um, 
and, and, and you know, kind of setting the world on fire with sales and yeah. What my, was that? My whole thing was based on you know relationships and knowing my customers. Yeah. How much did your? Well, I'm sure it changed dramatically. But what did that look like? That change from when you were just kind of the executor going out there making the relationship, gathering the information, to being the sales guy. Were you yeah. doing both roles then, or since you already had the relationship, were you just focusing on? No, I was able to hire somebody. <clears throat> To for work your for job. Me, oh, nice. To be my then, you know, kind of trainer. Yep. You know, yep. we always had, we were set up as like account manager and then we would call him sales exec and the sales exec would be responsible for kind of administration, yep. order entry, yep. and also training yep. and like day to day, you know, relationships. I'd be working with more like the IT people or like the, okay. you know, the, the managers at a bank who'd be just making the decisions on what market information that the traders would use. Okay. And then okay. I'd have to have a really strong person underneath me that I could count on to go out after the fact and make sure that the yep. end users actually, actually, knew, actually knew how to use the system. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that, that that's amazing experience at 27 years yeah. old. Yeah. And then yeah. I did that for a few years and then I was recognized by Reuters, uh, okay. who was number one in that market in, okay. globally, uh, Reuters and Bloomberg. Um, and um, they recruited me away and okay. you know gave me a, a, a big territory part of downtown Chicago okay. um, still covering the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the Board of Trade yep um, and uh, the state of Michigan so I had big accounts like Daimler Chrysler and sheesh um, and uh, what was it like handling an account like Chrysler what uh what was so, I guess, different about that compared to like your other role, your older role? You know, it was a different, you know, is doing what we did in the financial services industry. Um, you know, there were obviously the financial futures, yep. um, but we covered certain uh, firms that were trading equities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered firms that were trading fixed income. Uh, but in the case of Chrysler, yeah. uh, before they were bought by Daimler, yep. Daimler-Benz, um, they had a five billion dollar you know fund that they managed. They managed their own cash. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so they had a group of um, you know money managers that worked there. And so we had to sell them all kinds of different systems. So every account that I went into, I learned something deeper about you know financial markets and okay. you know what type of information that you know you need to you know actively manage a portfolio. Okay. So wow. Okay. Um, you know here I was now. Here I'm like. You know, 31 years old, and I'm yep. friends with the CFO of Chrysler. You wow! Know? Yeah, uh, and nice. you know, um, it was. Uh, yeah. Can you know? I, I guess I guess the the message in it is is that like, you know, you never know what opportunity is going to come in front of you that you can parlay into your next opportunity. Yep. Yep. You know? Exactly. And uh, the great thing about sales is is that you're not just working internally, yep. but you're meeting people externally that could, you know, potentially shape where yep. you go with your career. Yep. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing from you, because it sounds like just being in the sales role and developing these relationships, even outside the company, just are very beneficial. Yeah, and I, um, um, so I did sales for uh, 15 years. Okay. The last five years of my sales career was um, in sales management, which okay. that's actually an interesting story, yeah. too. Is, yeah. I've heard one um, or two here, yeah. You know, um, you know that was the obvious, uh, you know, yep. progression Pivot. that every salesperson thinks that they want to make is to yeah. go from sales into sales management. <laughs> and there were there were uh, three 
opportunities for me to become a, the regional sales manager. Okay. And I didn't get it the first two. Okay. Um, and I didn't understand why. I'm like, yeah. I'm your top sales guy. I have all these yep. relationships. Why am I not the manager? Or why am I not? So I went into my boss manager, and I said, yeah. How, why didn't I get the job? And he said, well, you didn't get the job because you weren't the obvious choice. What? I'm like, oh, that's what an interesting. That? Yeah you know, yeah. angle. And so I stepped what back from that conversation and I thought about it and I thought, you know what? He was right. I yeah. hadn't done all the things that I needed to do so that everybody else in the office was looking at me as the, as the, as the obvious choice for who really should have that role. Okay. Okay. And so I use that advice a lot when people ask me like, Hey, what do I, why didn't I get that job? I say, well, take a step back, look at yourself and decide whether you think you've made yourself the obvious choice or not. Okay. How did you pivot, I guess, your choices going forward then to kind of make yourself that obvious choice? Did you... um, I think that, you know, if you're going to go from a position of just being, a, you know, a, uh, one of the ranks in sales to mm -hmm. being the manager, yep. um, you know, you have to do things, I think, sometimes that are a little uncomfortable, which yep. is that you have to position yourselves as the, uh, as the leader all the time. Yep. And you can't be perceived as just one of the guys because... You're gonna have to, or gals. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna have to tell somebody like, "Hey, you can't do that," or you're yeah. not living up to expectations, or you know, um, just always leading by example. Example. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's fair. Yeah. No, that's some I observe in leaders, and even when I, you know, try to be a leader, whether I'm on a team or whatnot, or even with my friends, is like, there's always a fine line of like, you want to lead, you want to be one of the guys, but like. Sometimes you can't stoop to a certain level anymore. You can't. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it'd <laughs> like, be a good way to do it. You know, yeah. I can remember, you know, I was crazy through my 20s and loved to go out yeah. and party and things like that with all the other reps. And, yep. you know, um, not that you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, but you have to be more, uh, you have to be more, more particular about, uh, yeah, mi yeah mindful yeah. is the right word. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Interesting. So eventually then yeah. I set myself up as the obvious choice. I did five years as a sales manager. That was a great experience because yeah. transitioning and trying to coach people and help people, yeah. you know, into, um, I've always yeah. tried to coach people to help them to get to their, uh, you know, their desired peak. path yeah. or yep. where they want to go. So yeah. Yeah. Where um, did you, what territory were you managing? Wasn't it, uh, it was a regional select, so like, wasn't it South? Was it the South? Part of the U.S. or was so, it? So towards the end of my um, yeah. role in sales, um, I transitioned again out of sales. We had a sales manager who came in from IBM, and he was pretty—he's a smart guy. Yeah. And um, he—he he, uh, had just came to Reuters, and he's like, "Well, you guys have made the classic mistake." <laughs> and we were all like, "What's the classic mistake?" What? He's like, what? "Well, you took all your best salespeople and you turned them into managers." And so you took your best revenue generating people and you uh, to, yep. and the best and the best relationship people and you took them out of the field. Classic mistake. Yep. So he's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So he flew all around the country and he met all the reps okay. and he picked out 10 of us. Okay. And he's like, you guys are my major account managers. It was the 80-20 rule. 80% okay. of your 20% of your customers generate 80% of your revenue. Yep. And he's like, you 10 guys are going to manage you're not managers, sales managers anymore. You're, you're manage. major account managers, and wow. so you are going to, uh, you are going to. I'm going to give you like five accounts, okay. and um, you have to double the revenue. Okay. And so at that point, I was given um, Daimler Chrysler. Yep. Um, I was given uh, American Express up here in Minneapolis, Cargill, wow. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, a bank called um, 
Regions Bank, which included a money management firm called Morgan Keegan. Okay. Um, and I had the Chicago Merck and the Chicago Board of Trade because at that point I'd been managing them for 15 years. Yeah. I had a stack of business cards from the Board of the Merck that were like this thick. Yeah. Um, and we were put through a program, a training program, where we learned about negotiation skills. We learned about like how do you be a major account manager, how do you strategically yep. position your firm, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and if we were, if we were, if we uh, if we passed the program, uh, we uh, we were given a large equity award. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, That's a yeah. cool way. Did you kind of agree with that in terms of this this guy that came in from the outside and was like? You took all your best people, made them sales managers. Let's get them back out there yep. handling our big accounts. Yeah, it was yeah. Um, it was brilliant. Yeah, um, and you know, um, it it worked. Yep. The, uh, the 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 top accounts that we had yeah. um, appreciated it because they were getting the best service from the best people. Yep. Um, and uh, I think a lot of times, I think it's a great thing that businesses have to look at is like you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, revenue generation is where it's at. Yeah. Who do you have who's, doing it? Who's doing it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Was that a lot of travel for you? Handling those big accounts or was it? Yeah. yeah. Then it got worse. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I traveled all around the country as a, as a major account manager towards the latter end of my sales career. And then, you know, one day I got a call from my boss and, or I got a call from somebody that I worked with in London a lot. So okay. at Reuters, it wasn't just that you were dealing with your customers. You'd also spend a lot of time working with the strategy people and the product people to make sure that the things that they were developing yep. worked well okay. for your customers. Okay. And so I would talk to the manager for fixed income and the manager for equities and the manager for commodities and I would say, they would call me too and say, hey, I'm developing this product, what would Cargill want? Yeah. Um, and in this particular case, because I had Cargill, I used to talk to him all a lot and we worked on you know, different data sets, different analytics and things like that that the traders at Cargill wanted. Yep. And he called me one day and was like, you know, I think I, I, I have to hire a global head of agriculture. Okay. Um, I'd like him to be based in the U.S. because that's where it's at. Yeah. Um, do you know anybody? Yeah. And I rode home on the train that night from downtown Chicago and I thought to myself like, oh, this guy would be good and this guy would be good. And then I was like, wait a minute. I'd be. I think I would be good at that. <laughs> yeah. I know the yeah. sales side. I know the business. I've yeah. always been interested in strategy. Yeah. Um, so I fit. called him back the next day and I was like, hey, Sean, um, I thought about your question and I think I'd like to do it. And there was this long pregnant pause. Yeah. And he just said, I never thought of that. He's like, that would be amazing. <laughs> and I said, oh my, oh my gosh. And so yeah. I interviewed for it. There were yeah. a lot of people that interviewed both inside and outside of the company. But again, yep. because of my experience, I was the obvious choice. Yep. Um, so for the last 10 years of my career in yep. Chicago, um, I, um, I was the global head of agriculture for the biggest information company in the world. And so I had kind of parlayed Sheesh. all yeah. those experiences into, yeah. um, you know, what was, you know, at that point in time, my dream job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the first thing I did was fly around the world. Yeah. Um, you gave me a $50,000 budget and said, I need you to go to London, uh, Geneva, Switzerland, uh, Hong Kong, Tokyo, um, I need you to go to Singapore. Yeah. Uh, I need you to go to you know Mumbai. Yeah. In India and um, Bangalore in India, and wow. just 
learn agriculture from a global perspective and, go see, all, and go see all of our customers. Jeez. So I was gone for, I think, almost a month. Wow. And I just flew from place to, from place. Place, to place in a complete circle of the globe. That's, and, you know. That is a dream job. Yeah. <laughs> right there. And yeah, learned, yeah. you know, that was in the first six months. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. learned so much. Yeah. And then spent the next, um, uh, you know, nine years after that. Yeah. Uh, taking everything that I had learned over the years to build a new product. Um, yeah. We built a new desktop from the ground up. Um, we acquired some companies, so I got to be involved in the M&A side of things. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, I got involved in a lot of content acquisition. Okay. Uh, so buying, you know, data sets that would be interesting. And so okay. really, if you think about it, it's kind of like going from the sell side to the buy side. To the buy side, yep, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. When you were traveling the globe and going to all these different, you know, customer sites and whatnot, what, was there any similarities you noticed from place to place? Or was there any, like, stark differences? Um, whether it was, like, product... Uh, culture, um, kind of things of that sort. You know, I would say the, the one thing that really sticks with me um, is the importance of just clear and consistent communication. Okay. Um, one of the best stories I like to tell is that um, one of my stops on that trip was um, in, in Bangalore, India. And yep. I had a group of about 100 developers there that... Um, uh, that that uh, worked on all my products and all my content. Okay. And one day I set up just an empty day, and yep. I left a sign-up sheet out for all the developers and said, "Sign up, twenty minutes. You can come spend time with me, and I'll answer any questions that you have." Yep. And the one thing that happened was that you know everybody that came in to the uh, to the room had the same question. They didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. They were just <laughs> they're just doing it. They were just coding to code, right? They were just like their manager would come over and be like, "Here's a spec, code oh this, you know, or work on this data project." So they're just but machines. They didn't, know, yeah. they didn't know who their customer was. Yep. They didn't know who they were developing it for. Yep. Um, and they didn't know why they were doing it. They just, you know, were Indian, you know, yeah. Indian developers who had PhDs. Brilliant people, yeah. but nobody had ever taken the time to communicate with them, yeah. and then even after the fact, communicate them and tell them why they were doing what they're doing. And I think, and they wanted to know. It sounds yeah, like, and I yeah. I think yeah. ultimately, over my career in that role, I left it in really, really good shape for the person. I actually, the guy who's doing it now is a yeah. guy that was my kind of assistant. Assistant. Yeah. Uh, I trained him. I taught him everything I know. Yep. And we kind of worked together on that principle of well, let's build the best product possible and have the best team yeah. working underneath us who knows why they're doing what they're doing. Yep. Um, and so I think, you know, I think in that particular bit, communicating consistently um, and, and doing it is a lot of work. Yep. And a lot of people don't like to do it. Yeah. Um, and as you know, being yep. in sales, yep. um, communicating with customers and keeping up that activity is just as important. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's something that they like really appreciate yeah. I feel like that's something a lot of pe- uh, salespeople struggle with is just updating them on random little things but they just yeah. appreciate the heads up. You can up. never yeah. under communicate right? Yep yep it's better to be annoying I found so out. So it goes <laughs> back to my communications degree right? Yeah so oh yeah exactly. It all kind of comes full circle so yeah, you yeah. learn something from everything. Okay okay yeah so you spent 10 years as the head or the yep. president yep yep okay okay yep. and then was that your I guess that was your last role become before coming here to No, f- no, no, then no? I, was, I was recruited away. Okay, so, okay. Um, I was recruited away by a small um, media company called Farm Journal. That's been around since 1877. They're yep. probably the preeminent, preeminent agricultural 
magazine and website for American farmers. Yep. Um, they were looking for some new leadership. Okay. Uh, the CEO at that time was thinking he might want to retire, but like most CEOs, they, when they think they want to retire, the closer they get to it, the more they, they realize don't. maybe they don't want to. <laughs> yep. Um, so I spent a couple of years there, there helping them um, build a, um, you know, uh, a uh, paid information business okay. so that they could kind of move away from uh, advertising in magazines and okay. that revenue stream and try to build a subscription uh, revenue base like Reuters had. You know, okay. Reuters was a, you know, $13 billion, uh, Thompson Reuters was a $13 billion company when I left. Yep. And it was all subscription revenue. And, yep. You know, uh, it's, yeah. you know and yeah. subscription revenue, if you're looking for valuations on companies that trade, yep. uh, that's, that's where you want to be. And so Farm Journal was looking to build that. Okay. Since I knew... You know, you all the business experience. and yep. all that. I had all the experience. I was a good person to come in there and okay. uh, and help them. Okay. Um, but right after I joined, then the ag markets in the U.S. really took a took when a turn was for that? the worse. Was that a? Oh gosh, it was probably five six years ago. Okay. When the cost of corn and soybeans went kind of into the tank, and yep. you know, advertisers were going it. down the drain. And so we needed yep. a lot of money to build yep. a subscription business and a new technology stack and all the things that you need to make that happen. Okay. But difficult to fund a new business when yeah. your old business is is starting is, start, is in a decline. Yep. So we agreed to part our ways. Okay. I got to take a short sabbatical, which was great. Nice. Uh, and start looking for my next role. Yeah. Um, and it was. What's a sabbatical like? Like, being a career guy like you had been, you probably hadn't taken a break. Yeah, I hadn't taken like, the first time I'd taken what a break was that in like? twenty five yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, um, uh, it was great. Yeah. Right. It's to kind of take a breath. Yeah. Figure out what you want to do with the rest of your, you know, yeah, life career. and career, and see where you are right now, and yeah. see who's interested in you, and talk to people, and yeah, you know, think about like, is it could I could I achieve a career change? Yep. Yep. Um, and then I made one more entree back into the information business and went to work for Ernerberry as their um, yeah. CEO of the Americas, um, and then uh, president of of Ernerberry. Okay. Um, and I was working for a private equity firm based in London okay. um, and traveling back and forth to there wow. and um, you know learning about ironically the protein industry yep so yeah um, that was a great stop the people at Erner Barrier are fantastic I learned a ton of them from them while I was there yeah. but also started to you know kind of dip my toe into I was always a grains and oil seeds guy and kind yep. of a financial market um, yep. Person. Very commoditized. Uh, yeah, but yeah. not so much into the protein industry as much, although I knew a fair amount about it. Yep. Um, and so I got to spend, you know, close to a year there. Yep. Uh, and that's when I ran into Mike at yeah. the um, uh, at the uh, Boston at the Boston Seafood Show. Yep. Yep. And our paths crossed again, and we'd known each other for a long time, and yeah, we started to talk about the fish guys. Nice. Yeah, which Mike, I, if I he bought it back when was it two thousand three two thousand four? Oh yeah, two thousand three two thousand four. Yeah. Yeah, because that was one of the goofy things. I always was like, you know, small medium sized company, but it's been around even since like nineteen ninety three. Um, yeah. If I if I recall correctly, so. Yeah. Yeah, so you saw Mike in Boston. Um, I know that's a trip that Fish Guys makes annually when it's going on, uh, not COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's the big um, trade show of the yeah. year. I mean, that's where all the all yeah. the buyers get together with all the sellers and look at all the new products that are out there and see yeah. customers. And yeah. So I was there with Ernerberry presenting. We, 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 Ernerberry is the um, information source and Seafood provides news. a lot of the benchmark yeah. and news yep. for yep. 
for meat and seafood okay. uh, pricing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, we were there presenting our wares, yep. and Mike was there with you know some of our customers looking for new yeah. product ideas. With Ernerberry, was did you guys have any direct competitors um, in that space in terms of presenting that information? There, or was there, there, there are smaller niche ones, that, yeah. but really Ernerberry, having been around, uh, very similar. It's funny, all these companies I've been, I worked for, were yeah. huge media companies that had, had long histories. So, yeah, yeah. Farm Journal was eighteen seventy seven. Um, yeah. You know, um, gosh, I, I don't remember the. I think. Ernerberry might have been like 125 years old or something like that. It started like yeah. on the in New York, you yep. know, on the floors of the uh, yeah. commodity exchanges there, and they used to track egg prices. You wow! Know, yeah. Um, yeah. Way back when. So. Okay. 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 Nice. So you ran into Mike. Was that that's kind of when you guys started to kind of ideate in terms of? Yeah, he was looking to make some changes. He wanted to um, take the fish guys to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike had aspirations. He just started a meat business. You know, he had developed a significant market share in in, uh, in Minneapolis in the seafood business, and um, you know he was um, um, you know had a great foundation yep. you know, with sustainable products, quality products, but you know wanted to wanted to get more efficient, more organized, and yeah. you know take some of the day to day pain out of the out of the operations. Yep. Yep. Okay. So. Um, you know, I was looking, uh, I wasn't at the time that he contacted me really looking. I was really happy at Ernerberry, but, um, you know, it was, um, I'd known Mike a long time and it sounded like fun. You know, I yeah. was actually at that point growing a little bit weary yep. of the, you know, financial um, and just uh, financial and market information business. I'd done it for a long time. Yep. There wasn't, you know, even though there were constantly changes um, and it was interesting to follow, Yep. it wasn't, uh, it was starting to lose a little bit of its, luster for me yep and it's very rare especially when you get to be you know in your late 40s yeah uh, early 50s that you get the opportunity to switch careers or industries because you kind of get pigeonholed to some extent yep um you know after you get to be like 35 yep right so yep. because everybody that's looking to recruit you is looking for somebody that comes with a, either a rolodex yep or a set of experiences that are going to show return for whatever business and yep. you know you can move to adjacent industries yeah. but to be able to pivot you know Completely. from market information even though it was really relevant to what we do here at the fish guys yep. it wasn't necessarily you know kind of like a it, w it wasn't a like for like situation it was no. a career change for me but i oh, knew yeah. and a uh, location change right yeah, yeah. you in chicago yeah, for I leave chicago after yeah. all those years yeah yeah and uh and moved to minneapolis yep. uh, that was a a big decision yeah especially yeah. with three daughters yeah yeah that's crazy were one, they one is a one was a freshman in college when we moved one okay. was uh, a, a freshman in high school okay and then um, wow. and now she's a senior Wow. Uh, and then I had a, a seventh grader Wow so, how did know, they respond to that were they excited or they're like what's yeah, going on here they yeah. were particularly happy with their dad right at that moment in time. did you buy him a dog what'd you do yeah we got <laughs> a dog like, yeah we got a dog see, and, there we go yeah you know we, there were some there were some perks for him for sure yeah okay okay nice so was that yeah i mean you came from obviously much larger companies and made that career pivot both in industry as well as, as size um i'm sure that served you quite well in terms of when you came into fish guys and from what, from what I've seen and the changes made, it seems like it's you've been able to kind of hone in on easy places where we could kind of save time and money. Yeah, the best really thing quick, that we quick, ever quick. did, and it was yeah. super cool coming in 
to the role because we'd already made the decision to roll out a new ERP system. Yep. <clears throat> so even before you were here, we, yep. were, we were sitting in a room filled with whiteboards and we were documenting every process, yep. um, every single thing that we do and converting the way we thought about it to how it worked with a new ERP. Yep. Um, from the fact of that, you know, moving from paper when we receive things into literally using scan guns. Yep. Um, you know, uh, scanning everything in the door, everything out of the door, yep. um, maintaining real-time inventory levels, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, having a new sales order entry tool, being able to have online ordering for our customers. Yeah. And so because I had to touch every piece of the business while we were integrating a new ERP system, I got to learn every single process kind of from the ground up. How did you and do rethink that? And yeah. uh, rethink it in terms yeah. of like, um, you know, how, how could we do this better? Yep. Or why have we always done it that way? Couldn't we do it better? And always keeping in mind what I learned very early on in my career is why is the customer going to care? Yep. Yep. How's it going to enhance their experience? Yeah. Why they so want literally this? Yeah. it started off in meetings where we would, you know, first identify all the issues. Yep. What are the co problems that you guys experience as salespeople? And more importantly, what are the problems that you hear from our customers about our service? Yep. Um, and then we took those all and put them up on post-it notes all around the room, and then we grouped them together yeah. into, set, into four or five different categories, which are still up on the wall, yep. actually. Yeah. You know, it all has to do with communication. So it was yep. product updates, yep. uh, it was inbounds, del okay. inbounds deliveries, yep. uh, inventory. Uh, back yeah, orders and disruptions, disruptions. Yep. and so that's how Slack came about that we used. Yeah. So yeah. Every, every single thing that we did yeah. was was tried to keep a customer uh, mind on it, but yeah. then we literally just broke it out on a whiteboard and, and, yeah. and charted it all out and, and 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 redid it based on how we knew Canopy worked. Okay. Okay. Or ERP. Yep. Yep. Yeah. How was there any like certain item or two that you came in and you saw right away and you're like. You got to be freaking kidding me right now! Like, like that's how we do this? Like, what? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah there were, I, yeah. You know, don't want to get yeah. too boring, but yeah, yeah there yeah. were there were there were three or four where it was kind of an eye opener. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. that's like, how we do on? it. But the great yeah. thing was is that I came from the technology, yep. you know, space. Yep. Uh, understood the protein industry. Understood, you know, buying. Yeah. Um, and um, could help. Yeah. You know, could help the team with. All those things so that we get at the end of the day what we really wanted to do was focused on you know efficiency yeah um, and customer service yep um, and as long as you have those things in the forefront of your mind and everything you do um, going back to athletics uh, then you're that's how you win that's how you win keep that's going how you win yeah and grow yeah I mean because anybody will tell you if you're not growing you're dying yep Exactly. I mean, and that's what we were doing, right? Pre-COVID and COVID kind of hit here and like everybody, there's been some struggle along the way. Yep. So kind of want to touch on a little bit how Fish Guys responded to COVID. Um, I know it was a shock to the system for everybody right away, but how did, how did Fish Guys pivot and how did you kind of handle that as a leader? Well, we had to move fast yep. uh, because, you know, when they originally shut down all the restaurants, um, we had a lot more staff. Uh, and we had a lot of overhead. Yep. Um, so we met over a weekend and had to make the tough decision to kind of go down to a skeleton staff yep. until we figured out what the heck was going on. Yep. Um, and because you can't afford to carry much payroll when you don't have any revenue coming in the door. No. Um, so we made a fast decision to react. 
Um, and uh, while we figured out our business, I would say one of the one of the like I always said earlier, like you always learn something from a negative. Yep. You know, one of the things that happened from COVID is, and I think a lot of people will tell you this. Yep. We learned our business and what levers to pull better than ever. Yep. Um, so we understood. You know, it didn't take us long to figure out that restaurants were closed and the re and our grocery store business was going to go up. Yep. Uh, it didn't take us long to figure out that, you know because of you know all the news in the media uh, that you know I think they created a panic for toilet paper <laughs> uh, panic for paper towel and everybody thought that there was going to be no meat in the world yep. protein is going to be gone yeah so <laughs> you know, be, yeah. no more protein yep uh, and so we um, we have a we're lucky enough to have an e-commerce e fulfillment contract um, and while the restaurants went down retail went up and e-commerce fulfillment went up yeah and that kind of filled the gap for us until restaurants came back over the summer yep um, and so now that we're back in that you know the space where the restaurants are you know shut down for a little while longer yep um, and but now the restaurants were able to pivot faster because they know their business better and they were able to move to carry out yep better than they were before and faster than they were before so our business didn't completely go away like it did the first time yep. you know it went away yep. and we kind of accurately predicted you know what percentage of our business would stick around yep during you know, the, due to the carry lockdown. out yeah, yeah. so yep. we were yep. able to we were like okay we can make decisions based yep. on what we kind of know is going to happen now. Yep. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so that and, and I think the other thing is, is that we've tried to be as understanding with our customers as we possibly can about their situations and, yep. you know, they don't have as much revenue coming in and they probably had existing balances with us and, yep. you know, we had a lot of receivables out there and I think we've tried to be as fair mm -hmm. uh, as we possibly can be. And I feel like there's a lot of cool, you know, exciting things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we're all ready to get back to normal as fast as we possibly can. And yeah. I keep calling it, um, I can't wait. I still like to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little older now, but I still like to have fun. Um, and uh, I call it Barmageddon, which yes. I'm hoping that I is coming. That. Which yes. is, uh, yes. you know, I have a feeling there's a lot of pent up, um, uh, you know, just. Um, I don't even know. Momentum. I don't Momentum. Even know. Yeah. There's a lot of pent up excitement. Yeah, people want to yeah. get back out there, and yeah. once people feel comfortable, I would say I hope everybody, one at least now as much as they possibly can, supports all the local restaurants with doing carry out whenever they can. Yep. Um, and whenever the restaurants do came, come back at whatever capacity that they get back out there, and when they're fully open again, um, I'm just hoping that uh, everybody gets out there and starts having as much fun as they possibly can. I'm picturing, uh, you know, people six deep at the bar. I know. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, like a trading pit at the Chicago Board of Trade, and let's go. I know. You know? I, I think it's going to be pandemonium. I really yeah, do. Like, yeah. summer 2021, if everything goes well, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I think I'm it's super fantastic. hopeful for that. I'm super hopeful for our customers that that happens. Yep. Um, because hopefully people are really excited to yeah, go out there and support them. We're in a better position than ever yep. uh, to support them because yep. of all the work that we've done behind the scenes on our systems and our processes and our transportation yep. infrastructure yeah. to support our customers and get, a, get them the product they need on time, yep. high quality. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm super bullish on 20, you know, 2021, but we're not really... You know, we're not really forecasting that we're going to be back full on until April, May. Yep. Uh, yep. It's going to take some time with the um, uh, with the vaccines Vaccine. and things. So. Yep. Yep. But, but yeah. you know, we're here to stay. We we weathered the storm very very well. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. 
yeah, um, we're ready to go. I got to ask you too, there's got to be a story or two from pandemic, like peak pandemic, just craziness. What did you experience, Chris? What was going on here? Oh my gosh, yeah. what didn't we do? I mean, yeah. we, asked, we asked everybody to step up and it, <laughs> yeah. we had an incredible team here yeah. that was willing to do everything through the entire time, yeah. even to the point where, you know, I was doing a lot of deliveries and, yeah. uh, you know, driving trucks and working in the warehouse and doing whatever we needed to do to keep it going and while we figured out what staffing we could afford to have. Yep, yep. And uh, one particular uh, day I had to uh, make a delivery um, into uh, Wisconsin. Yep. It was a long drive, five hours there, five hours back oh. uh, to drop off a whole load of product. And along the way, I lost the gas cap and almost <laughs> ran out of gas and my fuel card stopped working. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I was drove through a rainstorm. On the way back, I drove through a snowstorm. Yep. Uh, when I got to the customers, the pallets weren't wrapped as much as they... Uh, <laughs> As they should have been, and so shout out to Brendan. All, yeah, God, yeah, Brendan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then all the pallets, all the all the all the chicken fell, fell over and was all over the Did back. Did you have of the to truck. restack that? I had to restack it before oh. they, the customer would accept it. Oh it was the God. it was the longest uh, day of my uh, entire working career, and that's been a while. What were you uh, driving? Were you driving a Hino? Or yeah, was it? Oh, yeah, my God. full size, yeah. full size Hino. Yeah, yeah and um, yeah. I think I left my house at five o'clock in the morning, and I got home at. 10 o'clock at night um, and I have a, I had a, but the great thing about that, I always say from every bad experience, you learn something. I think I've said that three times. Yep. I learned to appreciate uh, our drivers and the people that do that work yeah. every day more than ever. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of work, you know, by the yep. time you are loading stuff on and off of trucks and, oh, yeah. you know, even for stuff eight hours. coolers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even for eight hours. Yeah. Not to mention all the things that could potentially happen along the way that you just oh, got to yeah. deal with. And, yeah. Um, and you're just kind of that guy in the background. Nobody really pays attention. <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of like you got to just make it happen. Just make it happen. Like, yeah. So I think, yeah. you know, learned a lot through the pandemic, but I think, you know, the fact that at least anybody that worked here, and I'm sure a lot of people have had to do this, uh, they've had to do a lot of things that uh, they never did before. Yeah. And but you learn yeah. from from doing that. Yeah. And, I feel like uh, you get uncomfortable and you, yeah. you grow. Yeah. You know, totally. I can talk to the guy that's delivered to you know X Y Z restaurant. and I'll be like, oh yeah, that cooler, yeah. that's a bitch. <laughs> it's the worst. I've been there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My experience when I was I mean I delivered a couple times this summer, but. I, we won't name them all, but I just remember denting them all just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a, uh, yeah. it was a long day. It was like or end like of the day. Like forgetting maybe. to drop off a box and oh, then having to go back go and back drop it off. It's a half hour the other way. Oh yeah. That's craziness. Yeah. So yeah. Well, one other question I'll ask you just about Minnesota. Is there any quick story moving here from Chicago? I, I do think you like Minnesota, don't you? I yeah. love Minnesota. Yeah. Absolutely love it. It's, yeah. um, it's a great, uh, it's a great city. I know it's been this year has been challenging, but prior to the pandemic, um, enjoyed have enjoyed every single thing that I've done from the lake life to, yeah. uh, you know, twins games. Twins yeah. games. Uh, I've, I think the Viking Stadium is amazing. One of the great, one of the coolest stadiums I've ever set so foot cool. in. So cool. Yeah. Um, Spaceship. Yeah. You know, and I mean, my gosh, if you like restaurants and you like to eat well, yeah. Um, there's as good, if not better, restaurants here than there are in Chicago or 
you know, and, and, and so many different experiences. So, yeah. um, and the life is just easier, right? Yep. Chicago is a big city. Uh, I, th- th- don't get me wrong. Always a big place in my heart for people in Chicago and my friends in Chicago and the city. Yep. Uh, but Ch- Minneapolis is a very manageable place to live, uh, a very agreeable place to live. Uh, people are so friendly. Yep. Um, and uh, my wife, my kids, uh, is home now. So okay. we... Um, we have thoroughly enjoyed it to the point where my wife and I are just like, why, 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 why wouldn't we live? Why do we wait so long? And why wouldn't we live here? And yep. you know, thinking even like when we retire, we'd love to have a place on the lake up here. And oh yeah, um, oh yeah. You know, no. uh, it's it's uh, it's a great great place. Really it's a cool environment. It. Yeah, the suburbs too are located in a nice distance from you know downtown and sports and whatnot, where you can have that nice balance of like city city life and quiet, which yeah. which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, so what kind of last thing I'll leave us with is any parting words you want to say, um, and then kind of a tradition on the Good Looks podcast is you give a good look of the week. So oh. kind of anything that comes to your mind this week, coming up next week. Yeah, I got, um, so what yeah. was the first one? Uh, just any parting words if you have any. Oh, we parting can, words. Well, yeah. thanks for letting me do this. This is my first podcast ever. We're excited. Uh, first, pers- first time that ever, anybody's it. ever asked me so many questions about myself. Good, man. That's uh, what we want to do here. Know, but That's it's fun to do. share, yeah. you know, some of my experiences and, and what... Um, uh, and what uh, you know, what I've learned over the years through my careers, it's fun to talk about. I could talk for hours. Yeah. I just only hit the surface of some of this hey, stuff. This can be first first part of like a right. four part series. Right. 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 We can be back yeah. here weekly. Uh, I, don't I like know. to talk. I, yeah. I like to have fun and I like to talk. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my good look of the week is so easy. Right. Uh, right. I am in two fantasy football leagues. Oh. One here at the Fish Guys, uh, and yeah. one with all my friends back in Chicago. Um, I was planning to get into the Super Bowl last week. And in both cases, uh, the, the game between uh, the um, Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns yep. oh, yeah. Which, was important for me. Yeah. I had Lamar Jackson, and I would give my good week of, look of the week to Lamar. I Let's want go. to thank him for coming out of the locker room for whatever yeah. was going Fourth, on back there. We don't know. Wait, was and it a bathroom out, break? We don't know. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what happened, but I will give him my shout-out of yeah. my good look of the week because yeah. I've never been so happy to see a guy get back into the lineup <laughs> and fourth first down. play from scrimmage on fourth down throw a uh, like a 60-yard touchdown, touchdown pass to a oh, guy that had God. dropped four balls in the oh, first yeah. half. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so my shout-out and my good look of the week is uh, is my boy Lamar Jackson. Lamar what, Jackson. A, what, a, what a play. Yeah, and you had – I will say Chris did make an iconic video. He had an iconic fantasy win in your was that your Chicago league, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, this was a roll in the snow because you made it to Super Bowl in two leagues. Yeah. And today's my media day, so I have something special prepared. Oh, nice. That we're working on for the. It's very this similar. This is a perfect start. Yeah. Perfect start to media day. Yeah. 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 Heck yeah. Cool. Well, appreciate the time, Chris. Thank really, you, man. Seriously, great interview. Um, and yeah, we're gonna keep doing more like this on the Good Looks podcast, trying to get others involved too. So. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you.